What's up, Nooper News? How's everybody doing? Good to see you guys here in Newport News. It's been a little bit. I've been hanging out over there in Williamsburg because we're on Saturday nights now. Good stuff, good stuff. If you don't know, my name is Pastor Jamie. I am the campus pastor for the Waynesburg campus. Uh, we are one church with soon to be three locations. So we've got the Newport News location. We've got our Waynesburg location, and soon, starting in January, our Suffolk campus. And so, super pumped about that, and uh, so super excited to be here tonight. Hey, if you haven't done so yet, you need to check in on Facebook. Uh, the past couple of weeks, we've been experimenting with something new, and uh, just we've been working with a company called Cosley, who helps provide uh, a resource, really, to the church, just to expand um, our reach out on social media and Facebook. Uh, just last week, between both campuses, with us saying, hey, I'm here at City Life, over 76,000 people had our church name up on their Facebook walls. Isn't that pretty awesome? So it expands our reach, and not as it just telling people about the church, but we're actually doing something good in the world. We, uh, between all of the churches that are participating, almost 200,000 gallons of water were handed out just from you checking in. Isn't that awesome? Just between both the Waynesburg and the Newport News campuses, we've uh, given almost 1,900 gallons of water over the past month. So that's just pretty awesome. So kudos to you, right? Come on. That's awesome stuff right there. So it's just us using our marketing dollars a little bit more wisely and us just saying, hey, we want to reach people, but we want to do some good in the world. So all you got to do is just go onto Facebook and click check in. Say you're at City Life Newport News. All right, so you can... Click on that and say that you are here in Newport News, and uh, you can look at my hashtag. I just did it, and I just said hashtag Waynesburg is better looking. But so, ha! Hey, I'm super excited to be here. We are continuing in our sermon series, Watch Your Mouth, and uh, it's been an awesome sermon series. Hopefully, it's been one that has been challenging for you. One that has been encouraging for you. I know for Pastor Fred and myself and for Juice, it's been one that has just been encouraging to us. It's been challenging to us. I know as we go through and just study and look at these things and see the importance of our words, it's just been one that God has just been raking me over the coals and just kind of saying, hey, here's some things that you need to work on. But it's been life-giving. And so hopefully it's been that for you. We are wrapping up the sermon series tonight. Pastor Fred is in Williamsburg, and he's speaking over there. Uh, it's part of his maniacal plan to periodically just remind you how good you have it with him here. Um, so he's just like, let's drop this guy in, and you'll just be like, oh, where's Pastor Fred, right? And so, uh, but so uh, he's there in Waynesburg. We're going to periodically do that, and even as we launch Suffolk, we're just going to float around um, and just so excited for that. So if you are new and this is your first night, we're so glad that you're here. Don't worry, it'll be better next week, all right? So um, Pastor Fred will be back. We're so thankful for him and Vanessa, uh, their leadership in the church, um, their vision for this region, and for God to use them, their heart uh, for a multi-site church so that people can utilize their gifts and their abilities in the local church to reach people for Jesus Christ, and so we're super excited about that. So, so that's going on right there, and uh, we do have one more giveaway. We've been doing a giveaway each and every week, and so we got a giveaway this week, um, and so each week different people have been saying things that have been, uh, you know, meaningful words that have been spoken to them or advice that's been giving to them, and, and, and but this week... Things kind of changed a little bit. We, Pastor Fred and I were talking this morning, and we were just like, you know what? 
man, we're not going to go with what we challenged people to do last week. It was great. You guys' response was awesome, so don't take it personally. But somebody in this campus, man, they just upped a game. So on the back of our cars, if you haven't done this, maybe you know, we've been doing whysaturday.com, right, on the back of our cars. Um, if you've been writing that with the chalk paint, I, maybe you're just like, I'm ready for this to go. It's kind of ugly. I'm, I'm a little bit tired of it, whatever else. Pastor Fred and I want you to know you have permission to wipe that off your windshield tonight, all right? You have, past, you have permission to wipe it off. We're going to relaunch it and kind of reinvigorate that campaign come January, all right? So you can wash it off tonight unless, unless your name is Don Lehman, right? And you want to up the game of the whole church and you think you can beat him. So Don, where are you at, Don? That's why you over here, right there. Dude, you got to look at the back of Don's car. He did this, was it plastic dip? Is that what it was called? I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what a plastic dip is. I like fun dip. But he did a plastic dip, and it's just, dude, his car looks awesome. And so, like, I mean, he's, like, got this amazing decal on the back of his car. It said, whysaturday.com. Um, so that's just super awesome. So unless you want to match or excel Don's game, um, you can go ahead and wipe it off. And come in the next couple months, we're going to reinvigorate that. Is that cool? That was a week. So weak. So weak. Hey, in just a minute, we're going to be getting in Luke. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up to Luke. Uh, if, if you're trying to follow along in the Bible app, it's not there tonight. Uh, Pastor Fred and I were not aware that we couldn't put things on opposite campuses that we are the editors for the group. So we apologize about that. So we'll get that fixed and we're sharing our passwords later. So if you see Pastor Fred um, post weird pictures um, and odd scripture verses, it's just me. All right. <laughs> How awesome would that be? Wouldn't that be so funny? Like, just some obscure scripture verse, and he's like, where's this coming from? Oh, that's awesome. Can you not put this part on the podcast so that way he doesn't hear my plan? All right, so... Watch your mouth. We've been going through and just talking about this. The verse that we've been using for our launching point is 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse 10. It says this, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Do you know that God, he desires for you a good life? That he desires that your life is satisfying. That he desires for you to have a rich and a satisfying life. Do you know that God wants you to know what it is to experience goodness and happiness? That God is a God who wants you to know real and true and deep and life-giving pleasure. Do you know that? Do you know that God wants you to know what it is to have a good life, a full life, a long life, a happy life? That's what God wants for you. In this scripture verse, the word here, desire, the word is most commonly translated as God's desire for us. God wants for you to know what it is to have a happy and a long life. When I read this verse and studied this, the thing that came across to me is, is God speaking to us. And he says, see that God wants for you, see that he wants good for you, no matter what, and be careful with your words. Don't speak from a place of emptiness and darkness. Be careful with your words. To live life to the fullest, we need to have a God-focused life. And in order to do that, we need to have the right speech. See, because here's the deal. Our speech, our words, it shapes our perspective, and our perspective determines our focus. 
what we're going to be focused on, what we're looking at, what we're engaged in, what is our primary focus, what we're looking at, what, is ma- what matters to us, what, what brings life to us, what encourages us, what's, what, what discourages us, are the words that we speak, the words that we hear, our words. It changes our focus. It changes our perspective. And if we use the right words, if we watch our mouths, then we can live a God-focused life and re- live the rich and satisfying life that he has for us. So we're going to continue on, but before we do that, we are going to pray. Father, we pray here during this time that you speak, God, that your Holy Spirit speaks. You know the notes that are on my iPad. You know the words. You know the things that are in my heart. But God, we don't want what Jamie has for this moment. We want what you have for this moment. And so, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit lead and speak, that your word become real, that your word would be tangible, that it would transform, that it would shape and direct and guide our lives to live these God-focused, God-full, good lives. And, God, I thank you so much that you've given the Dolphins a coach who can beat up everybody else's coach. I pray that he encourages the Dolphins to continue to win. Awesome stuff. And God, I know you don't care about football because if you did, you wouldn't let Tom Brady win as much as he does. <laughs> Amen. All right. So, so, have you ever found yourself in a moment where things are just stressful and you're kind of just in this place where you're just like, wow, there's a lot going on? And you get a little bit anxious and you get a little bit worked up. And the more you get worked up and the more you get anxious, the harder it is to control your words. Have you ever been in one of those situations where things you're just like, wow, I have no filter right now and things are just coming out, right? For people like me who don't have much of a filter to begin with, those moments are extra hard. I was thinking of a moment not too long ago. Braden was actually, uh, maybe it was a lot longer than I think now, but Braden was a little kid. He was just, uh, he's grown into this crazy man child now, but he's this, you know, little kid. And, and I remember we were at a theme park. It was called Silver Dollar City and, and it was out in Missouri. It sounds awful, but it was actually awesome. So I promise you. But uh, we were out there and and we were uh, hanging out at this one spot where we would get food a lot because they had these amazing potatoes that they would cook on this open, like, you know, skillet thing or whatever else and mix it. Dude, it was so good. So we always went to this one spot, and there was bathrooms, and so the kids would go to the bathrooms. And so Michelle, she went, and she took the kids to the bathroom, and then they, they knew the routine and all that different stuff. And so she brought Rylan back, but Braden was kind of at the age where he didn't go into the girls' bathrooms anymore, right? Guys, you remember that moment, right? <laughs> and so, Mom, I don't want to go in there. And so, you know, he's like, you know, at that stage, and so she comes out, and then a few minutes go by, and no Braden. A few more minutes go by, and no more Braden. A few more minutes go by, and we still don't see Braden. So I start getting a little bit anxious, like, dude, who took my son? Where is he at? Where has he wandered to? Like, what is he doing? What tree is he climbing? What roller coaster is he trying to get onto right now? Like, who is he walking with and stealing their food from? Like, what is my son doing? Who has my child? I start getting a little bit more anxious every minute that goes by. 
Any parents ever been there before? You ever been there? Like you're just sitting there and you're just like, ah, I don't know what's going on. And so I started getting a little bit more anxious. We're there with two other families. And so I start saying stuff that I normally wouldn't say that's normally supposed to be stuck in my head only. So I start saying these different things. And then I start, I start speaking differently to Michelle than I should be. I'm not very encouraging and uplifting if you know what I'm saying, right? So I, I'm saying that I'm, I'm losing my patience. And with that, I'm losing control of my words. I'm not bringing life to the moment. I'm not bringing life to the situation because my words are just kind of out of control because things are tense, and I feel a little bit overwhelmed. I feel a little bit anxious. I feel like something bad is about to happen. Have you ever been there in that moment? Isn't it hard to control your words? It turned out awesome, and it actually turned out fine because Braden just comes up about 10 minutes later, 12 minutes later with some complete strange woman. Just walks up, and he's just like, hey, and she's like, you have, like, the coolest kid. Like, he just walked up and said, hey, I'm lost. My mom's number is. And just said Michelle's number. He said, can you help us find my mom? And so, like, as they're walking, he goes, oh, there they are. And so she just walks over, and she's like, now, is this your child? And then we had to convince her that he was our child. But anyway, so it was, it was absolutely awesome. But it was one of those tough moments where you're just like, man, I started saying stuff because of the pressures, because the anxieties I was feeling. I was saying things that I shouldn't say. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight is things that we say that we shouldn't and things that we don't say that we should. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. You guys still with me? Luke chapter 8, verse 40. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. We will have it on the Sky Bible here as well. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Verse 45, Jesus says, who touched me? Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me. For I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. She will be healed. So this situation, this is a crazy situation that's going on here. Jesus is now in the midst of a massive crowd. He's got these massive followings and gatherings that are constantly there with him. No doubt that this crowd was extra hyped, extra energized. Jesus was out on the sea with his disciples, and they were out in a boat, and a crazy storm comes, and Jesus, with his words, calms the storm. 
No doubt other little boats probably out on the shore and out in the water came back in and said, you'll never believe what just happened. There's a crazy maniac, a, a guy who was possessed with many demons, and Jesus calmed him. A, a guy who was raving and crazy and just tormented people all over was sitting calmly at Jesus' feet. And you can imagine that as that happened, people began to run and spread the word. This guy who's doing miracles, he's calmed the sea, and he's, he's cast out the demons of this raving maniac, this demoniac, and everything is crazy, and it's different. And Jesus gets off the boat, and there's this crowd sitting there, exuberant expecting big things, waiting for Jesus to do something miraculous. No doubt many of them are sitting there waiting in their own situation, desperate. Man, if he could do that for somebody else, if all the things that I've heard about Jesus are true, what could he do in my situation? So they're there and they're pressing and the crowd's getting larger and larger and things are getting more and more intense. And as he begins to teach, Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, who many of them are not big fans of Jesus to begin with. Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, he begins to make his way through the crowd, and he makes his way to Jesus, and he falls on his knees, and he says, listen, I'm desperate here. My daughter is about to die. If you go to Matthew and look at Matthew, the language there that Matthew gives, he's, he, the, the, the leader of the synagogue, Jairus, he's almost saying, like, listen, it's already done. She's breathing her last breath. You need to come now. She's already gone, but I need you to intervene in the situation. So Jesus stops what he's doing. He stops all that's happening with this crowd, and he begins to walk with Jairus, and the crowd begins to follow. His disciples are there, and they're following, and this crowd, this mob is moving through the streets. It's moving through the alleyways, making his way to Jairus' home. This crowd is, as they're moving and as they're, they're, they're making their way, you know no doubt that they're probably asking all kinds of questions. You know, people are loud shouting out their questions and their inquiries. They're saying, hey, did this really happen? Did this really take place? Can you do this for me? This crowd is loud. It's pressing. And all of these things are happening. It's, it's an intense scene and an intense situation. People are desperate. People are lost. They're looking for an answer. They're looking for some type of provision. They're seeing Jesus do all these miraculous things, and they want in on it. I mean, they're hyped up. They're ready for God to do something. And in the middle of that situation, with everybody pressing against Jesus, this crowd moving in a massive way, all of a sudden, Jesus stops everything. And he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And he asks it again, and everybody in the crowd starts to deny it. Jesus stops everything, and he's making his way, and there's this woman who's there, and she's got this issue. Now, this issue that she's had, it's, it's a womanly issue, right? So she's had this for 12 years. And this issue that she's been dealing with, it's cost her everything, and it's been detrimental to her life. What I want to look at is her life and Jarius's life in this moment. What was happening in their situations and how this can apply to our lives and how we can watch our words. Be mindful of the things that we say when we shouldn't say something. And to think about the things that we should say, but oftentimes refuse to say. See, in this situation, what we see here is, is that sometimes we speak when we should act. See, this woman, she's in this situation, and she's got this situation happening in her life that's been going on for 12 years. 
I, this, this story stood out to me. I wasn't even going to speak on this story, but it stood out to me just as I'm going through and reading scriptures. Oftentimes I read commentaries along with the scriptures. And, and so I'm going through and just reading this in this one commentary I come across. It, it talks about this woman, and it starts talking about how she was an example, a poor example of what it is to have faith. And he started talking about how she had this weak faith and how she was not something that we should follow, but in fact, she's an example to us of how we should do life differently with God. And I was sitting there just reading it, and normally, you know, you read commentaries like, huh, this dude's way smarter. He's got a book, right? <laughs> and so, like, all right, that sounds good. But I'm sitting there reading, I'm like, this does not resonate with me. Like, this woman, like, I know the story, and I've studied this story, and I've heard this story preached a lot of times. This woman, like, she's not a weak, this woman's a boss, right? I mean, like, she's, she's legit, you know? Like, I mean, this woman, for 12 years. So, I mean, imagine the physical toll. I mean, just think about it. I bleed for five minutes from a paper cut, and I'm like, oh, God, you know? She's, I mean, physically, the toll that's been taken on her life emotionally, the toll that has been taken on her life. I mean, she has been deemed not just like, oh, you're sick and you got an issue. She's been deemed unclean. Like, she can't come in contact with her family. She can't, like, live a normal life. She has to live outside of her community, rejected and isolated. For 12 years, she's not been the mom that she wants to be, the wife that she wants to be. She's not been able to do the things that she feels like God's called her to do, the dreams that have had to die repeatedly because for 12 years she's been rejected and put outside. And yet she's standing on the side and she sees this crowd coming and she sees Jesus in the midst of the crowd, weakened physically, weakened emotionally, broken probably just at absolute despair. She had spent all of her money. She had given all of her relation, relational capital. She's given everything she can, and yet nothing has cured her. And yet she still hopes. Yet she still thinks there's something that can be done. And not only that, but she's like a ninja. She makes it through the crowd undetected. I mean, think about this. This is a massive crowd just pressing against everybody. I mean, just think about how intense that was. I mean, it's not just like, oh, it's kind of crowded out in the lobby, you know, after service. Like, I mean, this is like you're pressed up against somebody and you're just like, man, what was that, right? And you're just sitting there and you're just like, I mean, there's all kinds of things. They're moving slowly and all this stuff's happening. And she makes it through the crowd undetected. That's just absolutely amazing to me. I look at this woman and I'm like, wow, this woman is amazing. The odds were against her. When I read this story, I don't say that's a woman of weak faith. That's a poor example to follow. Huh? That woman's awesome. Like she did some great things. And then all of a sudden I started thinking about what if that happened today? Like what if we had a woman, same situation, different situation, whatever it might be. The society just deems as unclean. Society says, you can't be a part of this. You're rejected. You're an outcast. I just started thinking about how that would happen in 21st America, 21st century America. And I did not picture, unfortunately, some woman just making her way through the crowd. I pictured somebody Instagramming the crowd, 
with Jesus in the middle of all this distant stuff and says, can you believe that Jesus just walked by and didn't even offer to heal me? Hashtag, what about my storm? Right? Goes through and takes a picture and posts something about, man, it must be nice to be a rich ruler. Hashtag, who am I? I mean, you, you look at this situation, this woman, she pushed through and she did this, but I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean, we look at our society, we look at, I look at myself. When things are difficult and we're kind of in the moment and we're kind of pressed by life and there's a lot of things that are going on and we feel a little bit overwhelmed, how many times do we just make something happen? How many times do we respond and say, I've got to do this how many times do we often say, man, here's my reason as to why I'm not going to do this? How many times do we say, man, I wish somebody would do this for me? Man, look, I'm rejected. Look, nobody cares. How many times with our words, maybe even if we church it up a little bit, what we're really saying is, is woe is me, nobody cares. Man, you look at this woman and she didn't say that. She just made something happen. Can you imagine if maybe even she just began to scream out, Jesus, I'm over here. Jesus, look at me. Jesus, don't forget about me. Jesus, I need your help. And the crowd, realizing who she is, they take her and they pull her away from the scene, and Jesus never even sees her there. And then she goes home and she begins to blog about what it is to be rejected and uncared for. Right? Come on, we, we, we take these words and we look at it and say, man, what's going on? Oh, look at this situation. Nothing can happen. Things aren't turning around for me. Or even more, come on, let, let's hit a little bit more close to home. It's quiet on these last two, but what about this one, right? Something happens and something bad happens at work or somebody says something mean to us at church, right? Because it happens, right? Not this church, but other churches. That's why you're here, right? <laughs> somebody says something mean to you or, or something like that. What's your first response? You call up your bestie, right? You call up mom, you call up granny. You call up somebody. Can you believe that they said this? Can you believe that this is the way it went for me? Can you believe the way they treated me? Our first response is not to go and to fight and to find our way at the feet of Jesus. Our response is to use our words to highlight our situation and our suffering. See, sometimes we speak when we should act. Sometimes we feel like we need to be as loud as possible so our opinions can be heard. Because we're mad, we're hurt, we, we need or we want someone else to care as we do. We're, we're passionate about a certain subject or a certain cause. And so we're super loud about it. We're regularly going to do everything we can. We're going to post the Facebook status of a lifetime and we're going to drop the proverbial mic and just walk off. Until 30 seconds later, we go back to see how many likes that we have. <laughs> right? Or we go through and we, we post all this different stuff and we make all these comments and we repost every video and every article that we can so we can become the experts on facts. Or so that we can have an assurance that people know our story. They know the way that we feel and they know what we're up against. And so we go through and we say all of these different things. Our tendency is to fight for our, our tendency is to fight for our words to be heard, but our words are a matter of faith. Our words are a matter of faith, and they reveal what we believe. Because, see, oftentimes in these situations, what we're actually saying is, is when we go through and we're in a situation, we feel like somebody's coming against us. And we call up our best friend, or we call up our closest friend that's a leader in the church, or we call up whatever else and say, do you know what they said to me? 
Do you know what this happened? When our first response is to go to somebody else or to make something public, when our first response is to say, I don't care how this come across, I just want people to know my opinion. When we live in that, what we're doing is, is we're saying, Jesus, I can't trust you with this. Jesus, I don't believe that you can make a difference in this situation. I've got to get my point across. I've got to make a difference in this situation because I'm not sure if you can do it. Looking at those that were outside of Jairus' home, if you go a little bit further, as Jesus goes and he heals this girl and she's actually dead and he brings her back to life, no doubt the parents are just like, whoa, she's alive. And it says that she was that they were overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed with gladness. They were overwhelmed with satisfaction. They were overwhelmed. And Jesus says something crazy to them. He's like, hey, don't tell anybody about what happened here. Have you ever read that and just been like, what is Jesus talking about? Like, why would you not tell people about what happened here? See, as Jesus was making his way into the house, there were people outside of the house that began to mock and ridicule Jesus because he said, she's just asleep. She's just asleep, and they start laughing at him. They go from mourning like, oh, she's so, she's gone. This is horrible, to like, what a loser. Did you hear what he just said? So Jesus tells the parents, he says, listen, don't tell anybody. Don't, don't, don't tell those people that were out here that were not willing to listen Because those people that disbelieve, they not only fail to receive God's blessing, they're not even able to witness it. Our words impact our situation. We can get into a situation where God wants to do something significant, and instead of going to him, we go to everybody else, and we use every other platform, and we short-circuit God's plan and ability to intervene in our situation with our words. You're in a situation where you start to speak something and you highlight things other than Jesus, other than God's will, other than his design and his purposes, and God's going to say, I'm going to cut it off right there. Our words can affect and impact everything. Listen, here's the deal about this. This series is not about us having some type of positive attitude and developing some type of positive language, right? Like, I can watch an Oprah show and cry with the best of us, right? There's some things about Oprah I love, but man, I do not want to preach an Oprah gospel. It's not about positive thinking. It's not about positive vocabulary. It's not let me say the right things at the right time and it's going to change my world. It's not about saying like I can, I'm in control of all things and, and when I say good things and karma is going to take care of me. What we're talking about in this series is, is about having biblical faith. What we're talking about in this series is is that your words and everything you say and everything that you do, it has to have God as its object at all times. And that's what biblical faith is. Faith is having God as your object at all times, in all situations. See, for both of these people, Jairus, and for this woman who's dealing with this issue, both of them, their situations did not cause them to express their feelings or to broadcast their opinions, their situations, at the worst possible moments of their situations, the most desperate place in their situations. What happened? What was their response? To run to the feet of Jesus. That was their response. And it's crazy. Oftentimes with words, 
We put ourselves in situations that we actually remove ourselves from the things that God wants to do and he wants to encourage us with. We're like the mob. We're walking around. We're pressing up against the things of God. We're clamoring for the miraculous. We're standing there looking at God himself. God saying, I want to do this. I want to intervene. I want to make this happen. We're pressed up against the things of God, and we're saying, why is this not happening? I'm not seeing my needs met. I'm not seeing my prayers answered. I'm not seeing all of these things happen. It's because oftentimes we take our words, and we highlight our situation, and we reject God's grace and his faithfulness in this situations. My question for you tonight, the question that God has just been wrecking me with day after day as I prepare for this, I honestly contemplated not preaching this because God, I was like, God, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I can answer this question. I'm just going to preach a sermon they haven't heard because I know they haven't listened to the podcast from Williamsburg, so I'm just going to preach a sermon they haven't heard because I don't know how to answer this question. And here's the question. When was the last time you were so broken that you parted the crowded realities of life to find yourself at the feet of Jesus? When were you so broken that you parted the crowded realities of life to find yourself at the feet of Jesus? So we need to stop running our mouths and we need to start running to Jesus. Because one of the beautiful things about the story is, is their response in this moment, it shows us how to experience breakthrough, how to encounter God, how to have God just transform and change our situations. It's to run. It's to fight to be at his feet. It's to have him as our only hope. It's to look to him and say, there's nothing else that's going to fix this. It's only you. I could stand on the sidelines and I can cry about it. I could complain about my situation. I could start blaming other people for the things that they failed to do. I could start blaming God for his failure to show up. I can start doing all of these different things, but that doesn't help me. But what does help me is to fight to find myself at the feet of Jesus. The breakthrough for me in saying, okay, I'm going to preach this. I was driving in my car down 64. Hate 64. I was driving down on 64, and I'm just sitting there on my way to Williamsburg, and I'm contemplating this question, and I'm contemplating all that's going on, and I got the radio on, and I got all this different stuff happening, and I'm like, God, I want this fixed, and God, I want this changed, and God, I don't think I can preach this. I feel weak and insecure in it, and God, I just don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, it's just like, just shut up then. I turned the radio off, and I just sat there, and I just allowed God to speak to me. And I said, God, help me to push through the noise of life and help me to find myself at your feet, because nothing's going to change my situation except for Jesus Christ. Nothing's going to change my perspective except for Jesus. I could have sat there and I kept, could have kept complaining and I could have kept whining and I would have gotten home tired, stressed out, frustrated, complaining about 64 once again. But instead, I stopped speaking when I shouldn't be speaking and I got myself to the feet of Jesus and it changed my situation. You know, one of the things I love about the story is that they give us a model of what to do to experience breakthrough. But you know what else I love? Is that it shows us Jesus' response. Jesus' response to both of them was, hey, you fight through the crowds. You fight through the chaos of life. You come to my feet, and I'm telling you, I'm going to give you what you're seeking. I'm going to answer. Sometimes we can look and be like, God, you're so far away. You're up there in heaven. I mean, you've got the galaxies surrounding you. You've got angels. I mean, look at all the problems of the world. Why do you care about me? And he says, fight 
to come to my feet. And I'm telling you, I will reach through all of the chaos of the world. I will go through the expanse of the universe and I will meet you where you are because when your eyes are on me, it's all that you need. You have no reason to worry. You have no reason to fear. If you go to him, you will find him and he will meet you. And when you are there at his feet, he clarifies and he empowers. When you're at his feet, he clarifies and he empowers. So I know you're sitting there and you're saying, hey, Pastor Jamie, I hear what you're saying. And you're saying, you know, like, hey, we shouldn't post anything and we shouldn't do all this different stuff. I'm not saying that. I am saying be a little bit more careful about, you know, what you do post and what your statuses are. For me, I, I learned that the hard way. The last church that I was on staff at, I constantly got in trouble for things that I posted on Facebook. I got called in a lot. Hey, what did you mean by this? One of the last ones, it was so funny. Hillsong came out with this movie not too long ago, and, and so I was like, dude, we got to go see this. And so I posted on there, like, we got to go see this. I want a bunch of people from the youth group to go and see this. And so... I got a call from the pastor, and he's just like, why are you trying to take people to a movie on Wednesday night instead of church? And I was like, my bad. <laughs> Didn't read the article all the way through. <laughs> like, can we just suppose that it had nothing to do with animosity or frustration or trying to create an uprising? It's just I'm stupid. <laughs> can, we just, can we just go there, <laughs> right? But I, I constantly got in trouble for that. But one of the things that was a reminder to me in that moment, and I constantly realize and see, is that the words that we speak they drastically not only impact our lives, but they impact the lives of the people that are watching our lives. Hey, just, just this last week, we were playing softball out in Williamsburg, and we're just as bad as the Newport News campus, or Suffolk <laughs> campus, so we're going we're gonna to have a Bad News Bears game one day, right? And just see, <laughs> we're just going to ugly it out. So, so we're sitting there, and, and, and there was this umpire, and the umpire was sitting there, and he was a... Fun guy. He was a fun umpire. I'll just put it that way. And I'm pitching, and I have no reason to be pitching. It's just nobody else wants to get hit in the face with the ball. And they're like, well, he's pretty ugly, so it's not going to mean anything. So let's just put him up there. So I'm up there, and I'm pitching, and I have no business being up there. And so I throw the ball, right, and, and it's slow pitch softball, and the mound's 52 feet away, and I like, got this, like, strike zone like this, you know. And so, like, I'm sitting there, and I'm throwing it, and it's, like, horrible. It goes behind the batter, right? Like, I mean, like, behind the batter. And I'm like, that was beautiful. And the umpire took it the wrong way, like, because he called it a ball. And I was like, oh, come on, ump, that was beautiful. Like, he thought I was being serious. Right? And then the person that was keeping score Every time we would say something, we just joke around a lot, right? Some of us not so much, but a lot of us we just joke because we know we're bad. And they were taking everything we were saying so literally. So I talked to them after the game, and I was just like, hey, like, hey, I want to make sure we're good. And they're like, you're a church. So I was intentionally watching how you responded to every situation. We were listening to every word. And when I felt like you were doing the opposite of what I expected a church to do, I started calling you for everything. Listen, the words that we put out there, the things that we put out there, we've gotta be careful about them because it can put us in the center of God's will or it can remove it. It can highlight and help us to see God's activity or it can blind us because we get so caught up in our feelings and our emotions that we're blinded to the things that God's doing. And even beyond that, it can hurt people that are watching us 
People are watching you. If you even just on Facebook, you say, I go to City Life. I'm a Christian. If you're in workplace, you carry your Bible around. People are watching you. They're waiting to see who you are by the words that you speak. So I'm not saying don't post anything. I'm just saying watch what you post. Right? I'm not saying to not say something about a cause. Because do things matter? Yes. Does what you're going through and the things that you're experiencing, are they important to God? Yes. Are they important to us as a church? Absolutely. Do matters of sexual purity, does it matter? Yes. Should the church and the followers of Christ be speaking to those things? Absolutely. Is our justice system broken and should there be things that are talked about and discussed about? Absolutely. Should we talk about and go through and look at different things and, and post up and, and make arguments or have conversations with different things about our financial system in the world or the way that things are going on? Should we talk about and does it matter that there are wars and rumors wars? Absolutely. Does it matter that there are two people running for president with bad hair and scary faces? It matters. But you know what matters more than any of those things? God's kingdom matters. The gospel matters. The glory and the victory and the power of Jesus Christ matters. We should be speaking to and declaring and making God the center of all of our conversations. If we've not found ourselves at the feet of Jesus and made that the place that we speak, then we're wrong and we're missing the points. We're going to point people away from Jesus instead of to Jesus. The things that are matter is his goodness, his grace, his mercy on display in our lives. What matters is Jesus being on full view, him as victorious, him and the fact that his kingdom is here and his kingdom is coming, that he's ruling and he's reigning, that he is righteous, that he, through the cross, has made us right in God's, God's eyes, that all things were made through him, for him, and that he is in control of all things. That's what matters. And that's what we should talk about. And why does that matter? And why we're talking about Jesus as all things, him being the center, us fighting to get to the feet of Jesus. Why does it change things? Simply this way. Because when we focus on God as the main issue, what we often think of as separate issues, whether it's social matters, social justice matters, whether it's financial matters, it's national matters, world matters, environmental things that are happening, the different situations you can have in your own life, whether they're relational or, or all of these different things. When we focus on God as the main issue, all of those things become intimately connected to our understanding of who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he's calling us to do in the world. When we come to the feet of Jesus, everything comes to a point. And we can see who God is, see what God has done, and what God is doing, and what he's calling us to do in the world. When we come to his feet, he stops everything. The chaos, the frustration, the discouragement, the hurt, the pain, he stops everything when we come to his feet and he clarifies and he empowers. I love this story because in this situation, he could have kept going and she would have been healed, but he stopped and he said, who touched me? Why? Because he wanted to clarify in this woman's mind what had just happened. 
He didn't want her to be able to walk away and say, oh, wow, I touched Jesus' hem of his garment, and all of a sudden everything was better. Then all of a sudden some mystical, weird idea and faith comes out there with people crawling around Jerusalem just trying to touch the hem of his garment. What Jesus wanted to say is, is listen, it wasn't my hem, it wasn't my garment that healed you. It was your faith in me that healed you. I don't want your eyes on anything else other than me. I want you to see it wasn't what you did. I want you to see it wasn't something mystical. I want you to see it wasn't something magical. I want you to see that it wasn't something just by happenstance. I want you to see that it was me, that it was for me, that it was through me, and it was for you because I see you and I know you and I acknowledge you. And when you come to my feet, I want you to see and to know what I'm doing, what I have done, what I'm going to do, and what I want to do through you. Not just for her, but in this moment, he clarifies for the disciples and the followers of Jesus. They're standing there, and Peter, we talk about watch your mouth, right? We could do a whole sermon series just on Peter. I love that guy. Said dumb stuff all the time. Love that guy. I'm there. I'm in his boat. And so Peter He's like, Jesus, like, what are you talking about who touched you? Like, the word that he uses, it's a graphic word where he's just like, Jesus, like, (laughs) there's a lot of people here. Like, I mean, you're being pressed like a grape in a wine press right now. Right? That's the word that Peter uses. And he's just like, it's like he's inferring, like, dude, because they're all still trying to figure out who Jesus is and what he's doing. I mean, the disciples at this point are like, dude, this guy could do some awesome stuff. He said, follow me. And I was like, okay. And I'm pretty blown away right now. But I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what he's doing. And so they're sitting there in this situation, and Peter's like, uh, "Who t- are you crazy? Like, how are you going to figure that out, man? Like, I mean, you can imagine Peter just being like, hey, let me pull you aside real quick and just tell you you're a little bit crazy, all right? Let's just keep moving. Let's stop making this an issue. But Jesus said, no, I want to make this an issue because I want her to know. I want her to know what happened. And I want something to happen in your life, Peter. And I want something to happen in all of your life, disciples. And I want something to happen in your life, Jarius. I want my kingdom to be expanded in your hearts and your minds. Because right now, you want me to go and you want me to heal this sick girl. But I'm telling you, something more awesome is getting ready to happen. That sick girl is going to be dead. And I'm going to go and I'm going to show you that I have the power over death. So we find situations where we get to Jesus' feet and he clarifies that he is the reason and that he is the purpose and that he is the solution and that he is our hope. And then as we get to that place, he begins to expand our mind and understanding of who he is and what he's doing. And I love this at this moment. He calls her daughter. She initially approached him, trying not to be noticed, trying not to be seen. She tried to come at him sideways and just get into a place where she's able to get her healing and go on and just kind of just steal this healing and just be done with it. I absolutely love this, is that he called her daughter. Why does that matter? Because she snuck up behind him and touched the hem of his garment. When he stops, he clarifies. Not only does he clarify, he expands who he is and what he's able to do. And now no longer is she hidden behind him. She is now kneeling in front of him. He is now looking at her, and he's now saying, you're not isolated anymore. You're not rejected anymore. You're not on the outside anymore. You've got no reason to worry. You've got no reason to complain anymore. 
You've been healed. You can now know peace. You can now know strength. And guess what? You can now understand what it is to be accepted and loved and embraced. You are my daughter. He speaks life into her. And this is crazy. She has been rejected for 12 years. She's been isolated, put on the sideline for 12 years. If you were to touch her, you would have to go home and bathe and then yourself sit outside of the camp for the rest of the day. I mean, you want to talk about being lonely. You want to talk about rejection. This is where this woman is. She couldn't even go to in a crowd to do the shopping that she needed to do out of fear and worry. She couldn't provide for herself the way that she needed to. She couldn't interact. Now, this woman who has been in that place, she's the center of attention of the entire town. They're all looking at her, and they're all waiting to hear what she has to say. You want to have a powerful voice in this world? You want your words to bring impact? You want to bring change to the things that you're passionate about? You want to see your hurts and you want to see your situations changed? You want to bring life into your home by speaking to your spouse the right way? Do you want to change the situation that your kids are going through and the way that they interact with you and you interact with them? Do you want to see something powerful happen? You find yourself at the feet of Jesus. And he begins to clarify the gospel and show you that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is your hope, that he is your everything. He expands what your understanding of him is and what he wants to do and the way he wants to do things things, and then he begins to show you and identify you as his and that you are able, and he gives you the platform to speak the things that he wants you to speak. Because there's a moment when we should speak, and there's a moment when we shouldn't. Our tendency is that when we feel and we get impacted that we react. Hey, I'm mad! Right? That's our tendency. I'm hurt. Man, our response should be God, I feel this. This is going on. God, I don't want to move. I don't want to do anything else until I'm at your feet. God, I want you to intervene in this situation. I can't do anything, and nothing good will come of this unless it's from you. When you get to that place, the thing that God has called you to do, the thing that he wants you to speak to, the thing that you need to speak to, now you have God behind you, God calling you son, God calling you daughter, giving you authority, giving you power, and now you can do and say the things that you need to do. It starts with us going to the feet of Jesus. When we speak, our, word, our words should be ones that point to Jesus. When we speak, our words should be ones that point to Jesus. Jesus himself, he gets into the situation. In Jesus' words, he stops everything to point to himself. And he says, if you do the same thing, everything turns around for you. See, in the situation where they find themselves, Jesus is saying, hey, who touched me? She's sitting there and she's quiet. And she's not saying anything. The whole crowd's just like, not me, not me. Peter's like, why does this even matter? There's moments when we should speak that oftentimes, especially as followers of Christ, especially nowadays, that we keep our mouths shut when our mouths should be open and exploding with praise. And when you come to the feet of Jesus, you say the things that matter and you say the things that you should be saying because your heart is filled with Jesus. 
You'll understand now what it is to have hope and strength because you see what hope and strength is. You understand what joy is and you can feel joy and you can sense joy because you're looking at joy in his face. When you get to this place where you come to Jesus at your feet, you need to open your mouth and you need to speak the words of praise that God puts in your heart. I think of David in Psalms 42. and In verse 5, he says this. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. What does he do? How does he open up 42? As a deer Pants for the water, so I long for you. God, I want to be at your feet. I want to be in your presence. Because when I'm in your presence, that's what gives me hope. And as he's in God's presence, what does he do? He reminds him, why am I sad? Why am I discouraged? Why am I so down? Why am I so negative? God, you're awesome. You're wonderful. You're amazing. You're good. You're holy. You're um, just, oh, God, I can't even say the words because you're so awesome. When was the last time you found yourself there? When was the last time you found praise just pouring out of your mouth? When was the last time you were just exalting God and thankful for who he is and what he's doing in your life? If it's been a while, push through the crowded realities of life and find yourself at the feet of Jesus. He will begin to clarify who he is and what he's doing in your life. He will begin to show you the things that are taking place. He will expand your understanding of his kingdom and the gospel, and he will give you your identity in him. He will open your mind, and when that happens, your heart is full, and you just begin to praise, and you begin to sing. So that's what we're going to do here. So we're going to worship here. So worship team, you can make your way up. So the world is broken. The world does not need more people with more opinions. There's a quote that goes along with it that I probably shouldn't say up here. We don't need more people with more opinions. What this world needs is more people willing to push through the crowds and find themselves at the feet of Jesus. What this world needs is people that are willing to say, there's something I want to say, there's something I feel like I need to say, but not until I'm at his feet. Not until I'm at his feet and I'm going to do whatever I can and I'm going to force my way through this situation. I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm going to be there. I want you to hear this. This world's broken and they need that. You're broken. I'm extra broken. What I need in my life is to not come at God sideways, just kind of hoping that he'll do something. What I need to be is full on in front of him and facing him. One of the powerful things about this is, is Jarius was able to make his way. We can just kind of like, oh, it seems like anybody can just make their way to God. In Luke, we can see in the beginning of Luke chapter 8, that Jesus' mother and brothers weren't able to make it to Jesus because the crowds were so thick. Jairus was able to make his way to Jesus' feet because he was a leader of the synagogue. He had authority. He had rights. People respected him. When Jairus walked, the crowds parted. This woman, she fought her way to get there, sideways. And Jesus looks at her and he says, no more do you have to sneak to get to me. No more do you have to work and fight and push and do all of these things just to get to me. I want you to see that you're my daughter. 
Here's what you need to fight for. You don't need to fight to get just to the feet of Jesus so you can say, okay, God, am I good enough? Are you willing to accept me? God, is, is it okay for me to come to you? God, is, like, are you willing to listen to me? Listen, if you've said with your mouth and you believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, you have been made right in God's eyes. You are made holy in God's eyes through Jesus Christ and what he has done. You are now able to approach the throne as his son and as his daughter. You have authority, you have position. What happens is, is that we go through life and we just sit there and we try to push against everything and we try to jam things and work our way through things and manipulate things because we allow our words to distract us. Let your first words, let your only words, let your initial words be, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need your touch. Jesus, I need you to intervene. Jesus, I need you. And look at the situation, not as a woman pushing her way through the crowds rejected, but look at the situation as a son and as a daughter who's able to walk up to the God of the universe, the creator who spoke the stars into existence. Look at it as you're somebody who's able to go and say, I need you, Father. I need your help, I need your touch, I need your love, I need you to help me in this situation. I need you to give me the right heart, I need you to help me to forgive, I need you, Jesus. He will always speak to you with compassion and love. One of the things that I just felt like God was speaking, he didn't say daughter just for her benefit. He said it for the benefit of Jairus. She's the only person in the entire scriptures that Jesus calls daughter. I think in that moment, he's saying, Jarius, I know. I know the anxiety you're feeling. I know the pressure. I know that every minute that passes by, it costs you something. I know how painful it is. I know what's welling up on the inside of you. I know that anger wants to come out. I know that frustration wants to come out. I know that you feel like I don't care. I want you to know right now, Jarius, I hear you. I know what it's like to be a father. I know what it's like to feel what you're feeling. I know what it's like to be desperately wanting your child to know and have life, to breathe and to know freedom. I know what it's like, Jarius. When you come to him, he will give you compassion and love. Like, but it's been a long time. It's been taking forever. It seems like he's stopping everything and not addressing the things that's happened in my life. The things that God said he's going to do are the things that he's going to do. Have faith. Stay at his feet until he says, let's go. The things that God delays in response are the things that will be the greatest gift that you've ever experienced in his faithfulness and his goodness. He loves you, church. City Life, he cares for you. City Life, he wants you to know full life. He wants you to have a satisfying life, a rich and a satisfying life. He wants you to know the abundance of his mercy and his grace and his goodness. He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to see yourself as his son or as his daughter. He wants you to stand in confidence. He doesn't want you coming at him sideways. He wants you to come at him full on, up front, looking at him and saying, I need you. Let's watch what we say. Let our first response be, Jesus, I need you. 
don't want to be anywhere else than your feet. And I don't want to move until you say it's time to go. Until you say it's time to speak. Until you say where we're going and what we're doing. That's the only place I want to be. God, I need you to be in this situation. If that's you tonight, I want you to stand. I want you to worship with me. I want you to say, Jesus, I need you. And then I want you to allow him to fill your heart, fill your spirit, fill your life. And as that happens, worship, praise. Find freedom in his life. Find freedom in your praise and glorify him in your worship.